This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted. Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington. And joining me on the line from Surprise, Arizona, is none other than Evan Grant. Hello, Evan. How are you? Well, good morning, Kerwin. <laughs> You've been talking to Justice? Yes, I have. Yeah. yeah. We've been talking about lots of stuff. Really? Well, most we I, I, I think he's been wondering how come he hasn't been inducted into the Texas Sports Hall of Fame yet. Yeah, oh, did that, that list went out, didn't it? Yes, it did. <clears throat> you know, I don't... Uh, hang I don't, on, uh, car is about to hit me. Um, oh, good. Just one second. Okay. Yeah. You know, we're getting ready for the first uh, exhibition game out here on Friday, and so there's a lot of vehicles, no matter where you turn here at Surprise <laughs> Stadium, that are powered by gas and extremely noisy, and uh, everywhere I go, they seem to follow me around. So. Wow. Well, that that was uh, that's how that works. When you put a hit out on somebody, that's how that happens. They 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 work I at see. it. I see. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. So uh, so the Rangers they're having spring training, huh? <laughs> yes, sir, Kevin. <laughs> and thank you for that show prep. I really appreciate it. Um, we are on. Uh, we are on day nine today of spring training. and Day so far, nine? Holy cow. So far, so good for the Rangers. Um, I would say that in the order of how spring training is going, you would have, you know, Rangers, uh, a bunch of other clubs, the Astros, and then Rob Manfred somewhere below that. Um, but it has been fairly uneventful out here. I think the biggest turn of events for the Rangers is that they've made it pretty clear that Nick Solak is going to get a real look in center field, not just as a potential um, part-time center fielder to boost up his utility man role, but rather as a potential regular center fielder that would allow them to move Danny Santana into a full-time utility role. Boy, and you- I don't know how this is going to work, Kevin, to be honest with you. Well, you know how I feel about this. This is uh, just fairly ridiculous to me. I, I just don't get it. Uh, you know, uh, as we have talked before, uh, I think that Danny Santana has the potential not only to be a center fielder, but to be, to be a very good one. Um, mm-hmm. I have watched him play first base. I have watched him play shortstop. Uh, uh, he doesn't bother me too much at second base. I, don't, I certainly don't like him playing first base. I'm not crazy about him at shortstop either. Our, our our old pal Jerry Fraley uh, said to me, told us once that he had talked to a scout who said that he was one of the most fundamentally unsound players in baseball. 
and by that, he just meant, <laughs> which is not a good thing to be called. He's just not the kind of guy uh, who, who sets up, delivers the ball, does the things exactly the way you need to be doing them. And it, and it gets him in trouble sometimes because he relies too much on his athleticism. I think you can get away with that in center field. Uh, it's not it's not good there either, but it's, you can you can make up for some of the mistakes you make because of your athleticism, your speed, and the and the and the, how good your arm is. Um, you can't make up for that kind of thing playing shortstop or second base or certainly first base. So uh, I I I, I, don't, yeah, I don't think I I don't think that uh, if Santana were to go into a utility role, I would I would see something emerging along these lines perhaps um that he plays center field um once or twice a week that he would play second base once a week probably that he would at least to start that he would play probably third base once a week with uh todd frazier then moving over to first base and that would be against kind of a right-handed uh pitching lineup I mean, against the left-handed pitcher. Um, and then he would probably maybe get a DH one day against the lefty in place of choose so that he'd get he'd get five starts. And I, I think the shortstop starts would be very, very intermittent, if at all. I think ultimately if the Rangers carry Matt Duffy or Isaiah Kiner for left, and they'll carry one of those two guys, that's going to be a more adequate traditional backup shortstop. I, I think that the Rangers' perspective on this is let's take a couple of weeks of spring training and see exactly whether or not Nick has some aptitude for this because if he does, it just makes moving guys around a little bit easier because I think if you compare if you compare Solak as your utility guy playing second base or third base and Santana playing second base or third base, I think the Rangers feel like Santana probably fits better there. Um but then the big question still is, well, that's all great, but we're talking about who's going to be playing center field on a regular basis, and that's fairly important. I, 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 I think it's, I think they're they're trying a, a bold experiment, and I think it's something that hey, on March 12th when they come back from their from their off day, they could say, yeah, Nick is going back to playing the infield for full time, or they could say we've been surprised; he's got above average speed. Um, he is, they feel like he is fairly athletic. Uh, I still don't know that you're going to be able to judge how well he reads balls in Arizona compared to playing the bulk of your games under a roof. But I think they can get a feel for, for how well he turns and runs to a spot, how well he um, handles kind of the, some of the communication elements of that and, and, and so forth. Um, uh, at this point in time, I don't have a big issue with it. I just don't know that I expect this to be where we're at on March 26th when the season opens. Well, Evan, I have a big issue with it, and so that's all that matters. Um, no, I, look, here, here's the thing about this. To Kevin, me, you have a big issue with Chinese food, which is one of the problems that I have with you. I ate, I ate at Royal China. I ate at Royal China just two nights ago. You think that there's too much shine on the food. (laughs) And that's why I had the chicken curry noodle soup. You know, no shine. No shine. All right. Well, Uh, let's go back to 
Let's go back to the Rangers. Uh, here's, here's my issues. First of all, was Danny Santana not, after the collapse of Joey Gallo, by collapse I mean he couldn't play anymore, uh, was he not the Rangers' best offensive player? Um, Number-wise, yes, he was. I, he, he was the Rangers' best offensive player from start of the year to finish. I think there were some real concerns in August um, in the, the, the last two months of the season that he started to get exposed a little bit. But he did kind of perk back up in September. So, yes, he did. Um, yeah. That, that, that's, but and that's what this he says. had a great offensive season. He did. And, and, and what it says to me, though, is that, uh, well, yes, uh, I want to say that, too. It wasn't just the results that he showed uh, in the numbers. Is when, you, when you watch him at the plate, it's a short swing. It's, a, it's very similar to Willie Calhoun. It's a short swing, very compact, not a lot of moving parts here, not a lot of things that can go wrong. When he started to uh, have some problems late in the season, it looked like he was uh, overswinging. You know, it looked like he was trying to do too much. And then in the last couple of weeks, he seemed to rectify that. My point is, is that it, as a super utility player, first of all, I don't think he's a very good, you know, fielder. I, I just don't think he's a. I don't think he's a good infielder. I think he he can well, I, he can do it. But but the bigger problem is, is that. How often are you going to get him in the lineup? If you get him in the lineup four or five games a, a, a week, that's still not as much as you would get a regular. You're, you're taking a guy who had really good numbers last year and saying, you know what, we don't want you to hit every day. And and I just don't understand that. I mean, and, No, I, I, I think the takeaway that I've got on this is, is different. I think they are committed to the idea that Danny's going to be an everyday player or, you know, if, we, if they play six games in a week, he plays five. If they play seven games in a week, he plays six. He's going to be a regular starter. Uh, based on the history of this team, that still remains to be seen. And the other wild card in all this, Kevin, is, hey, by the middle of May, all this could go could get blown up. If Rugnet Odor gets off to another poor start, this could be a guy who's riding the bench with Santana or Solak playing second base on a regular basis. Yeah. Uh, have you seen Solak play the outfield at all? Uh, no, nah, he just, he took some fly balls the last couple of days and I, you know, it's, um, I, I'm, I'm horrible at judging that. I it, it, just based on drills, I, I will get a chance to see him in a game on Saturday. I think he, he may back up in center field on, on Friday, but I think he's going to start on Saturday. Um, and that'll be, you know, in the full stadium surrounding and, and with, with guys in their proper positions and all of that. And, and for me, that'll be a, a better read. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be something of a challenge, but I also think that the general feel that there are two general feelings here. One, the Rangers need to find the Rangers believe they need to find their best nine offensive players and get them into the lineup every day. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why you may have a, a really subpar defensive alignment all across the board. Um, and the second part of that is that uh, you want to make sure that you have got you're getting that you are creating a role for Solak that is sustainable. If, if you're going to carry him on this team to start the season, he also can't play three days a week he's got to play regularly mm -hmm. um so they're 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 going to try and look at that to, to to start this 
to start spring training. I don't know why I'm stuttering so badly. Well, you kind of are. Uh, yeah, well, we know what, you know, they, they talked about that uh, under Jeff Bannister, the possibility of having guys and, and playing more diverse roles, and, and it just never panned out uh, with Jeff. Uh, you know, Chris Woodward comes from an organization where the Dodgers, they, they're moving guys in and out during the inning, you know. Guys playing center field right. one inning, he's playing second base the next. I, I To me, that's just, it's always crazy anyway. I just don't. I don't see the I don't see the upside of it. I, I'd like to see someone show me the numbers that tell you that oh, this is so much better when you can do this because it allows you to. I, I can see if you're trying to get matchups here. If you're, you know, uh, if that's, no, think, that's your I, I issue. Think I think it, it really, you know, to, to simplify it again, I, I think it comes down to, and I think the approach basically comes down to how do we get our best nine players in the lineup every day. Well, I, and I guess, and it, but it, it, do you and, think and so positioning? Yeah, I, I guess what I'm saying is positioning almost becomes secondary. You know? Yeah, and maybe that's what it is. I mean, but that that also flies in the face of what your what defensive metrics are all about, right? Well, we talk about we've seen in what the Astros when they weren't cheating. You know, they they have one of the best defensive outfields in baseball. That the teams that were getting to the to the World Series, getting into the playoffs, making the ALCS, NLCS. Are teams generally speaking that have excellent outfield defenses, and uh, and I, I I'm not positive that a guy like Danny Santana is going to be a great center fielder. I, I I think he has all the tools to be a, certainly be a good one. I don't have any idea about Nick Solak and what he could do out there. I, I I think what this says to me is that they they feel like that Nick has a higher upside than Danny does, and so I I would. And, and I don't know that I disagree with that from an offensive standpoint. Like you watch Solak at the plate, you know, it's, a, it's kind of an odd swing, but he meets the ball wherever it's pitched, you know, when he, when he right. swings. And he's, able to, and he's got a little pop, you know, and, and, I, and I think he is going to hit. Um, I just don't know what position he's going to play. And, and a guy that you're not sure what position he's going to play and you decide you're going to put him in center field just seems almost outlandish to me. You know, it's just you can't play second base, but but you know he could play center field. I you know, generally speaking. Yeah, I, I think that their their feeling is that while you, you the hardest part about center field they feel like is finding athleticism. It's right. not like the position is um, a terribly. Uh, I, I, I'm trying to figure out how to say this, but. They feel like as, as far as reading balls and things like that, center field is not terribly difficult. That you're getting you're getting the ball hit straight at you. You're not yes. seeing the tailing or the, right. the the slicing of balls, and so that becomes a little bit easier. And you and don't have to worry about running into a wall to your side either. So. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, you know, you don't have to worry about going into the into the side. That, that's true. Um, and so they feel like it's not as that in the new age, you know, it's great if you've got a five-tool center fielder, um, but it's more important in their mind that you've got a, a an, an athlete out there who who can hit. And I'm not sure if I agree. Um, I also don't know that I've got nearly the metrics and and the information that they have. Um, but I, I, I can understand where they're coming from on the idea that we need to find our best nine players and shove them in the lineup every day. 
our best nine offensive players and shove them in the lineup. I just don't know uh, if you will get to a point in that situation where defensive shortcomings may uh, negate or diminish what you're getting offensively. All right, let's shift gears here and go to uh, the, the old tried and true. Uh, do you think the, the Rangers will make a trade this spring? Yeah, or not. I, <laughs> I don't. I don't think I don't think they'll make a major trade. I, I do think it's possible that, listen, this team very possibly could, it, that it's possible that it's very possible that this team could. That's good, Evan. Yeah. Um, I, I think that it's possible that, as usual, this team could go into the last spring of spring training having to scramble for a, a, a guy to – either be a backup center fielder um, who's a traditional center fielder. And there will be some guys who are on minor league contracts who the Rangers had expressed interest in, most notably Billy Hamilton, who if he doesn't make the San Francisco roster, will be out there. Um, I'm not sure where exactly they'll settle at first base. I think they're very intrigued by Greg Bird. Um he had a nice half season with the Yankees, but that was five years ago. He's been injured a number of times, and when he has been hurt, when he has been healthy, he hasn't shown much. Um, they, they're not sure that Ronald Guzman has the offensive capabilities to play the position. And I mean, I think he's a great example. And we've talked about this that you know, first base is a little bit of anomaly when you talk about great defense. Even though that guy handles the ball so much, that's supposed to be an offensive position, and you will put up with lesser lesser defensive ability uh, if you've got a great hitter there. Well, Guzman is a great defender who struggles as a hitter, and I just don't know if they feel like he's got enough to uh, uh, to justify playing him every day. So that's going to be an interesting battle uh, all spring between Bird and Guzman. And, and so, yeah, I think that, that there's there's potential for needs to develop. I think the trade market, as John Daniels has said, will continue to be ongoing through spring training and maybe even into the early part of the season. But I think the Rangers are, until until the inevitable Nolan Arenado thing comes to a crescendo once and for all, I think the Rangers are, are have got their eyes on that prize. Um, and they'll continue to settle for lesser pieces if need be uh, until there's some resolution. Evan, I'm going to put you on the spot again here. Who's going to be your big surprise of the spring? My big surprise of the spring. Um, Let me throw out some candidates for you. What if I throw out an Isaiah Conner for left to you? What would you say are the are the is a shot? Isaiah Kiner Falefa is always my guy to break through because he and Jose Trevino have just these off the chart work ethics that that really you feel like these are guys that are going to maximize their their abilities. Um, Trevino is a little bit blocked because I think he is in, he is kind of stuck right now as as the third catcher going into the season. Um, Kiner Falefa has shown up much bigger uh, up top. He's not added a lot of weight, but he has bulked up a little bit. Uh, he's very determined. When I, 
this was my my favorite story so far spring um just in a you know in a side conversation as i i asked isaiah you know where where do you expect that, that you're going to play this spring do you think you're going to play some outfield too and and he said i'm going to hit and I, I i thought well maybe he didn't understand what i was saying and and um i i mumbled i said no 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 isaiah i'm talking about what position are you going to play the most at and he said, I'm going to hit, and, and then we went into the conversation, and his perspective is the same thing that we just talked about for 15 minutes, Kevin, that it's an offensive game now, and he knows he's got good hands. He knows he's got good range. He knows he's got the ability to play multiple positions defensively. He just also knows that he's got to hit with more authority to force his way onto this club. Yeah, you know, uh, we, we talk about guys playing third base. Of, of all the guys – who who've played it, uh, you know, uh, that were not, you know, not as Drubal Cabrera, you know, but but all the rest of the guys who looked the most comfortable there to me was Isaiah. I thought he he looks like he could play third base. Now the question was, as he knows, is can he hit? You know, he right. uh, what he was before. No, he he didn't hit enough to play third base. But at least you feel comfortable putting him over there. That's when we talk about these super sub uh, guys. You, you can put a guy over at third base, and you can tell they're scared to death, you know, that someone's going to hit a ball down there. And and he did not play that way. I thought he play, he handled himself very well over there. I, I would put him down as a guy. I'd like to see what he's going to do. Uh, and if he, if Look, he, with if he a, can With hit. a 26 man on this roster and the ability to carry an extra player uh, and his versatility and his work ethic, um, I think that he absolutely – should be on this roster and the Rangers need to give him an opportunity to to do that and maybe it then does play into more than a utility position but he is going to have to show in spring that he's getting the barrel on the ball and that he is you know he's he's hitting line drives and and not just hitting the ball on the ground that that that's what it's going to come down to and I I think he the other the other part of that is you know with players sometimes you wonder are they do they get it do they know what they really have to do Isaiah knows what he has to do, and now it's just a matter of executing it. So Corey Kluber, uh, shifting gears once again, Corey Kluber uh, is uh, is back and healthy and feels like his uh, um, uh, mechanics are good. You know, they were they were out of whack last year when he was having a, a slow start and then got hit with a line drive and broke his arm. Uh, but he was not pitching well up to that point. He has said that he feels like he has uh, everything back in order, right? Yeah, and, and I will also say, Terry Francona backed this up yesterday, too. Um, I spoke with him for a few minutes, and he, he was pretty adamant that, listen, if you go back and look at Kluber's numbers, and, and I did do kind of a very cursory look, but if you look at Kluber's numbers, he is a guy who has uh, had a couple of rough starts early in seasons that have skewed his early season numbers. Um, and I also think it's, I also think on the other side of it, I, I don't know that at 32 years old, I expect Corey Kluber to be two times Cy Young winner, Corey Kluber, but I do expect that this is going to be a guy who's going to give you six quality innings, the majority of the starts, um, maybe deeper. And if you get that again, your rotation is, is going to be so deep with veteran starters, uh, providing everybody stays healthy that you've got the ability for the for kind of a ripple effect to take place, right? The, the starters give you six innings or more. All of a sudden, you can 
uh, align your relievers the way you want them at the back end of the bullpen, uh, and your guys are your your middle guys are fresher for the nights that they are are needed, which will hopefully in in the Rangers' case be less than they were last year. And you also don't get into situations where you're down three or four runs early, as the Rangers were so often last year, which takes a little bit of pressure off the offense. So I, I, we've talked about this ad, ad, infinitum, ad infinitum, but the, the rotation is, is at the center of, of everything that, that the Rangers do this year. And if they come out um, and, and show that ability from one through five to, to go six innings, this team is going to be in a, in a good spot. And, and I think that there's nothing to suggest that Kluber is not going to to be at the upper end of that group. All right, and that, and that uh, is a nice segue into something here because, you know, we've talked about, you know, can the Rangers be competitive? You know, what do they need to do? Should they do more to try to be even more competitive than they are right now? I believe that they, they, they need to do more. Um uh, I do think it is an improved roster, even though that's not what a lot of the projections uh, insist. They, they're showing a regression, I think, from 78 wins to 72. I think I've, I've picked them, I think, 82. Have we, have we already predicted the wins yet? Have we done that yet, Evan? We have not done our, our predictions. Well, I'm going to say 82 wins anyway. Uh, and, and I'll get yours uh, later because I don't care about your projection right now. Uh, but I do want to ask you, because this is the thing that's interesting to me. I don't know if you if you think the same way or not, and I know that the commissioner agrees with me on this anyway. I have never, I was not expecting this kind of backlash against the Astros, not a public one anyway. Are, are you surprised by all this? I thought I thought Chris Woodward made a lot more sense yesterday than than Rob Manfred did. To be perfectly honest, well, that, that said, is that's a low bar right there. Um, he said that he had talked with his wife the, a couple nights ago and and said that as these as, as statements started to come out, he could very easily see a situation where um, guys are frustrated and once somebody ripped the seal off, that, that other guys would feel empowered to, to vent as well. And I think that this is a situation here where it, it's not great for baseball by any stretch of the imagination, and I don't know that there is a that there is a great solution, but I think... Um, I think these players do need to be allowed to vent because it's a uh, it's a difficult place. Rob couldn't have he couldn't have effectively conducted this investigation and held out the possibility of, of punishing the Astros uh, with suspensions or, or anything like that. Couldn't have uh, held held out the uh, idea that he was going to ban them from postseason play. Um, because that's just that would also be litigated by the players' association and seen the same way as a as, as an ineligibility for play. And so the best way to try and, and and solve this was to create a deterrent. And I think you have created a deterrent because now GMs and managers um, they know their jobs are on the line if they don't correctly oversee and uh, have oversight on, on on what goes on in these clubhouses. Um, I think that, that that Rob has erred on a, on several occasions. Most notably, uh, I know he was trying to just make a point when he said uh, that taking away the trophy um, would not prove anything, and, and he he sure, he certainly should have called it a piece of metal. 
Um, He apologized for that yesterday. I think he could have taken more uh, uh, strenuous, uh, could could have placed more strict um, penalties on Jim Crane. I know he says that the $5 million suspension, the $5 million fine is the maximum allowed by the, by the MLB constitution, but he certainly had the ability to try and suspend Crane from club operations um, for a period of time. Uh, he could have taken away some international draft, uh, some international slot money as well. There, there were other places that he could have gone, and I think that that he erred on not going to the um, absolute length of his of, of his powers on that. Uh, but all that said, I, I just think that there was going to be nobody satisfied by this. Because as he said yesterday, rightly so, this was something that was tangible. It was the World Series that was in question. It was the World Championship that was in question. Um, that strike that, that strikes a chord with fans. And the minimalizing or, or the tainting of the World Series trophy strikes a, a, a – and this was one team going rogue, right? It wasn't, it wasn't like everybody uh, across baseball – had teammates that they knew were doing steroids and that they couldn't police their own clubhouse. This was one clubhouse that went rogue and really kind of rubbed it in everybody's face. And so there is a lot of frustration that has boiled over from the players. Wow. Okay. I mean, are you finished? Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, no, that was those are all good points. Uh, it, here's here's my issue with everything. I, I just feel like this is all going to have an impact on the Astros. Uh, I don't think there's any way you go into a season with this much animosity uh, directed toward you, uh, the, the level of this animosity, when you've got guys like Nick Marcakis saying that these guys should take a beating and and in which, you know, you could say, well, who, who cares what Nick Marcakis thinks? People care what Mike Trout thinks. When Mike Trout says that he has lost respect for some of these players, you know, and Mike Trout's not ever popping off about anything, you know, but he's clearly the greatest player in the game. There's no question about that. Uh, and when he is saying that about you, um, that has to that has to affect these guys. And I, and I believe that, you know, as, as, you, as you well know, a clubhouse is kind of a, a delicate chemistry set in there, and, and uh, it doesn't take a whole lot to upset that. And the and the and the Astros had never had that before. You know, they've been a very happy-go-lucky group, and uh, and certainly played like that. And uh, and I just think that uh, I would be really surprised. You know, they got a lot of talent. They they can go a long way just on that talent. Um, but I would be really surprised if they made it back very deep into the playoffs. And I think this will, you know, I think this will have an impact on the on the game. And then of course going forward, they've got a lot of guys on that roster. Who are uh, whose contracts are up after this season? They, and they certainly have. They only have two guys committed past twenty twenty one, and that's Jose Altuve and uh, Alex Bregman. So uh, I think you said something. I think you said something to me the other day. I'm not sure if you actually wrote it or not, but but usually what you do is you say the good stuff and then you forget <laughs> to put it in your column. Um, but I think you were going to write something that the message basically was. The Astros dynasty is over. They just don't know it yet. And, yeah, I did write that. Uh, I agree. The, well, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And the penalties are eventually going to the, – the, the actual penalties are going to eventually take a toll. 
Um, in the meantime, uh, and this is where Rob Manfred is trying to kind of rationalize things, but in the meantime, um, that is a miserable clubhouse right now. I, I believe a player, uh, I saw an, an anonymous player quote who did say this is a, this is a bleeping mess uh, here, and uh, they brought it upon themselves, and they've, they've continued to antagonize it with um, really poor responses at every at every step of this process, uh, and they are they are going to to reap that. Now, I do think I do think to some extent the player the player reaction is going to um, die down a little bit. Uh, I think that in these nine days when there's no games being played and there's no uh, actual baseball to dissect or anything, it's real easy for and, and, and it's real easy for players to offer up opinions and it's real easy for us to go around with microphones and notepads and, and ask, you know, how do you feel today and, and, and get somebody to, to offer their, their feelings and each day it is somebody different. Uh, but once the baseball games start, I think that from the player perspective, some of this will die down. They'll police it on their own. Uh, if if guys start throwing at the Astros, um, then we'll have another di- issue to deal with. But where the Astros then are going to have to deal with things is they're going to have to deal with the actual fan reaction. They have, by and large, been shielded from that, you know, other than the Twitter sphere, they haven't had to actually engage fans other than their own Astros fans. And uh, once they get out into, into stadiums and start seeing what the reaction is, that's gonna, I think that's going to take it to another level. So this is not going away for them. It's not going away anytime soon. And I think the, the MLB perspective is that this will weigh on them and this will create a burden that they, uh, that they won't, that they, that they will have a real challenge overcoming. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And uh, that is going to be a day-in, day-out thing. That, that's a, you know, baseball season is a grind. Uh, and when you've got people like that, uh, fans like that at every place you go, uh, uh, bringing that to bear. And you can't play the us-against-them game, game uh, in this kind of thing either. And that's what would make Carlos Correa look so foolish when he uh, started, uh, you know, he, he had a great reaction initially to what happened and seemed very remorseful. And then he wanted to try to lash back at what people were saying. And you don't get to do that. That's what Carlos doesn't understand. The Astros have abdicated that, that they don't get a chance to say, Hey, Hey, back off. You know, you know, you, you the can't Astros have become a little bit like the rental car agent in the old Seinfeld episode. They've been very good at making the apologies. <laughs> they just haven't been very good at, meaning the apology yeah, keep um, the, yeah absolutely yeah. evan uh, evan i hate to you cut can't. you i hate to cut you off evan but but tommy is telling us that we are approaching the end of our time on the podcast and that means that uh this may be the last podcast we ever do for all i know but anyway oh, okay. it certainly will be the last one for this week i know that much so anyway, Evan, it's been great having you on the, the podcast. We love it when you get to, to appear occasionally and uh, you, you do a fabulous job and we appreciate that. Oh, Kevin, that's so sweet of you to say. Yeah, that's me. I'm sweet. Uh, All right. Well, I will see you next week. Uh, no, you won't see me, but we will talk to you next week. No, I will be here there next week. Oh, you'll be back? 
Yeah. You're going to leave that to Sam Bloom? Yep. Holy cow. I hope Sam doesn't know that yet. But anyway, Sam Bloom's your backup uh, Rangers writer. We're glad to have him out there. He's working hard. Uh, you know, I'm supposed to be Sam's mentor. Did you know that? Yeah. yeah. You know, we've reached the end of the podcast. <laughs> You're right. We have Evan. So, Evan, say goodbye. Bye-bye. There goes Evan Grant, everybody. We, we love having him on. He's the best. Uh, and so we've had a Mavs podcast with Brad Townsend. We've had a Rangers podcast. We appreciate you tuning in and listening. Be sure to, to come back next week and check out our other podcasts as well. So from everybody in here to everybody out there, thanks, and we'll see you next time. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly episodes on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search the Ballsy with a Z podcast. Until next time, sports fans, we'll see you.